The sermon reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, through chapter 5, verse 2. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may all see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning. My name is, uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's great to see you all here uh, this morning. Um, just a heads up, or if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I have a stutter, so it'll kind of coming in and out as, as we go, and just want to make sure everyone has a, has a heads up on all that. And uh, also, you know, welcome to Summer at Redemption. Um, we're always excited to see what God will do here throughout the summer. Um, I think I, I shared this actually last week, is every, every year we've seen some neat things happen throughout our time together. We obviously kind of... Th- and out a bit, if you will, over the summer as kind of all of Tucson does. But we just have a great opportunity to get to know others. And even specifically as we enter into uh, as this, uh, this, this kind of we t- take a pause from our time in Acts and we, um, you know, talk today kind of re- relationships part two, right? Um, we we uh, did this earlier in the year. We talked about relationships. And there were a number of conversations that I had in follow-up with that. And I'm excited, though, for what we're going to be talking about uh, today as we get into our time talking about um, really cross-generational kind of age and also um, um, specifically singles, single people and how single people fit into and relate and interact within the church. And as we always do, we're okay being uncomfortable as long as it means we're all uncomfortable together. And so we're excited to kind of pull back, if you will, and dive into some of those conversations. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. That said, the summer is an incredible opportunity to get to know one another on a deeper lung. Long, long, long level. Even uh, long, last night, we actually had a few people over at our house. Just we had a barbecue, kind of you know, brought together last minute. And um, yes, we asked them to help us move a piano, right? So we you know hustled them, bait and switch. Um, but uh, but no, it was just a great time though. Just different people, different age groups, all these things, just hanging out at our home and building community. So that's it. I just want to encourage all of us. Like the summer is an incredible time to do that. Um, We are going to be, I'll I'll go ahead and ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and uh, hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep this one, okay? You do now. Um, También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, um, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, uh, eso es nuestro regalo. 
Austed. And so again, uh, we want everyone, is there, do you need one up here? I saw, I see hands going up, up and down. Um, if you need one, hold it up high. Somebody will get you a Bible in English or in Spanish. Again, we want to make sure you can keep this and own it and make it your own and bring it with you and, um, and all that. That said, we're not going to like hunker down in First Timothy. We're going to start out there and then we're going to kind of launch out to a bunch of different places. And we don't normally do that. We normally kind of settle into one scripture passage and we stay there and we're working our way through Acts this whole year and it's been great. And uh, we're going to kind of pause this morning again and do something a bit different as we talk about the church, the household of God. And that's actually the idea. The word is the people of God, the ecclesia. And, um, and, and that is something not just us here gathered on Sunday morning, but living as a family even is the idea and the picture that we see in the New Testament. So again, we're going to be covering a lot of different things together. So if you learn more by kind of, if you'll be distracted by trying to flip all over and, you know, keep up, then you can just, it'll be up here on the screen and even this can be an opportunity to kind of sit and kind of shower under God's word, if you will, and just, uh, and then some other articles and different things I'm going to quote this morning, okay, as we, as we go along we, and we dive into some of these things together. Amen? Okay, yeah, I need that affirmation, kind of need to know you guys are tracking with me, so I'll call for amens every once in a while, um, and uh, that was good. Good job. So um, with that, let me, let me pray and ask God to lead us into this very important conversation together. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children, and uh, I pray that even in our time this morning that the significance of you being our Father, um, Lord, for some of us, even as we look ahead in a couple weeks to Father's Day and we just look back a couple weeks ago to Mother's Day, Lord, some of us, because of sin, as we've even talked about this morning, that's a broken idea for us. Or some of us don't know our father or we have a very negative perspective on father or mother or brother or sister. And so as we look at your word and we consider how Jesus promises that he's making all things new, um, we pray that that would inform how we relate with you and how we relate with one another. And uh, I trust that we will leave here shaped, transformed by the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, pick up with me in 1 Timothy 4. Again, we're going to start out here and then kind of launch out of the gates from there. But beginning in chapter 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, verse 12. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then down in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So the author here, Paul, um, who we've, we've, we've uh, heard about and we'll hear a lot more about in the book of Acts, right? He's this important figure in the church and he was 
like met Jesus face to face and then was called and commissioned to go and start the church and, and new, new church expressions and new local churches all throughout, you know, that, that uh, Greece and Turkey and all this area in the Middle East. And he's doing that. And then he has a particular guy that he's mentoring. He's pouring his life into and he's kind of coming toward the end of his life here, Saul, and he's been in Prisoned and is kind of looking, okay, how do I pass this on and how do I continue to carry on this work of, of, of forming, again, a, a people, a, a household of God in all kinds of different places. And he focuses in, and this guy, Timothy, is one of the people he's really pouring himself into the most. And Timothy is a younger man, okay, perhaps like some of us here in this room, and, and, um, and, and, and he's, and he's really looking through that context. Here in the beginning, as you see in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So one extreme that we could go with age, right, with different ages, is older people being kind of, you know, crotchety, you know, grumpy, and just thinking like, I have nothing to learn from you, you know, and kind of looking down on this younger person who's been commissioned and called by God to lead in the church and to establish elders and to establish different churches all throughout. And so Paul, as an older man now, like a, like a son, he refers to Timothy, he says, hey, I, w- I want to encourage you, okay, don't, don't think because you're younger that you don't have anything to give, in fact, even this morning, a gal, Sandy Wisely, who's very encouraging, and um, she and I were just talking, and she said that she's been reading about different um, great awakening, different revival movements all around the world, and she shared that the vast majority of them have um, started with like millennials, like younger people in their 20s and early th- 30s, um, often even in some cases single people and that there's this sense of fervor and excitement and that the songs sung together and the, and the, and, and the ways that God put a, 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 a di- kind of a di- dissonance or an unrest, not just kind of, again, old and crotchety and saying, ah, oh, that's whatever, there's no hope, that's the way it's supposed to be, like, that's the world, right? Death and taxes, you know, say la vie, like, right? Like, no, it, 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 right? you like look at sin and sin and and it's even most kind of clear form we can understand is, is, is not God. And it's also, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's anti-shalom. Okay, shalom is this Hebrew idea, this word that is, that is full of the way the world is supposed to be, our relationship with God and with one another and with work, as we talked about this morning, and with our you know, hobbies and everything that we do, the way it's supposed to be. And sin is, is, is not that. And so rightly, there should be a a sense of, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And the good news of Jesus declares that it doesn't have to be this way, that we can can carry and live out the good news of Jesus in our proclamation with our words and in demonstration with our lives. And so there's this sense that a lot of youth have this this, this fervor that is encouraged. And I want to encourage that here. I know I sometimes kind of make fo- fun of the youth and talk about you drinking all the coffee and being freeloaders and whatever, you know, whatever else. But, um, right, I should be rebuked in that, right? Called out. Like, do not let me look down on you for your youth. And, um, but, but in all honesty, right, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of good. And, and, and I want to encourage you and thank you in that and, and, and love that our church 
can be used mightily by God in movements of prayer and of, and of, and of proclamation and demonstration in all of life, carrying out the good news of Jesus. And yet there's also a temptation, which I think we hammer on perhaps even more than others, on the temptation for younger people to think like, well, we don't have anything to learn. Older people kind of, you know, throw them out like they don't have anything else to give. We've got it all right. We've got it all figured out. And, um, and we need to hammer on that too, right? Even in that last part there, Paul knows that is a temptation. And he says, listen, do not rebuke an older man. In, in chapter five, verse one, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. This sense of the household of God, the family, specifically in cross-generational ways. And so to the younger demographic here, the majority of us, um, we need older people in our lives. And and Jared preached uh, sometime last year and, and shared uh, a time, it was a really sweet moment, and he just acknowledged the older people in our congregation. I'll leave that up to you to decide if that's you or not, right? Like, you know who you are. Um, and, but, but just to, to thank you in, in many ways, you know, when I was coming up with names and thankfully the list was too great to share here. And I was thinking, oh, I know I'm going to leave someone out and just people that have been pioneers in many ways. They, even from day one, when we, when we had 19 adults in my house, in my backyard, and there were a number of older couples from day one that were there that said, we want to invest in this thing. We want to not, you know, just dismiss this small, church, like hypothetical church that hadn't even started yet or launched yet, and just kind of be like, oh, whatever. It's another, you know, young people trying to do their thing, whatever. But no, instead use their, encour- their encouragement, their influence, their resources to help plant uh, Redemption Tucson, and in many ways, the pillars of this, of this church. And again, there's so many of you, and I just want to thank you for your courage, for, for, for bringing your, your friends. <laughs> for, um, we've grown in that way. As different people that come on and off every year and see us here have, have said that. They said, I see growing as a church in diversity and in generational diversity, and that's an encouraging thing. And it is, and we need to press into that and long for more. But um, let me just share an article that I read. We do a thing called Tapestry Tables um, every month. It's a, it's a monthly conversation, and we're in it right now. And it's, um, it's a time where we talk about, we look at different subjects, and we come around a table together looking from different places, right? From age, gender, um, a race or ethnicity, and then f- financial b- background. And so we kind of come from those different places and we come around those different subjects and we talk and we share and we learn and we grow. And this last month, we looked at, um, at, at, at this particular subject of age within the church or even, you know, ageism within the church. And here's just a, 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 sn- a snippet from an article we read by Jared Wilson called Revolutionary Ageism and the Church. And here's what he wrote. In our efforts to multiculturalize the church, which is a great effort and a godly one, let's not forget the need to multi-generationalize the church. Is your church multi-generational? If not, are your seniors second-class citizens in your church? 
The countercultural call of the kingdom requires a revolutionary ageism where we actually honor our elders above ourselves and our youngers actually honor those we are most tempted to deem having outlived their usefulness. Wow, there's some harsh language there. And this was an article written a number of years ago when it was kind of cool to be like, you know, raw and kind of even angry, and it's, it was actually kind of funny to re- read this article, and he says some things, and it was, again, kind of, kind of funny. But that said, there is a sense of directness that I really appreciate. Again, to the younger people, I mean, we have, you know, elders that are in our 30s, right? So we're like the elders of our, of our church. And, um, and, and that's been, you know, we have a predominantly younger church, and so we do need to ask those questions. Are we, um, a, are we a multi-generational church? And if not, do we actually honor those we're most tempted to deem having outlived their usefulness? So let me just again pause and say to older people among us, we really, really value you. We need you desperately as a church. And we want to uh, invite you Okay, perhaps even call you out if you're tempted and maybe other people, Tom and Sandy Wisely, who I mentioned earlier, they've even said before, they, they shared at this tapestry event and they've even just talked about their heart, their conviction to call out their peers to not just sit idly by or kind of become selfish or do these things. And on the flip side, right, we all need to be called out and say, hey, when people are brave enough to move in and say, here we are, we want to be used, we want to give our, our uh, influence and our wisdom and, 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 and serve and invest, then we need to be humble enough to say, oh, praise God, thank you. Okay. And so um, I just want to, I love this, this this language here that's used that um, I want to encourage us as a church to consistently think of not looking through the lens of what's best for me and my friends, right? What do I prefer? People who look like me, talk like me, are the same age as me, whatever. How do we want to just do this? What do we prefer? And, uh, you know, kind of forget everyone else, right? In fact, um, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, And it's in the context of laying your life down for the good of others, laying down your rights for the good of others. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In this conversation of age and different ages, how often has that been the theme historically in the church? I'd say probably not that much, right? You know, one side, oh, well, the music's too loud. I don't like it. It's too, you know, it's too new. Oh, guitars are of the devil. And, you know, you, you know, um, you know, don't, 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 uh, don't do these things that are, you know, unnecessary. And are, I just use my own filter, by the way, just so you know. Some of you who know me well, I was going to a place and I'm like, ah, probably not the best place to go. <laughs> right? So just so you know, I was uh, kind of hesitating there. It wasn't this Better. Though God probably gave me that to like slow me down sometimes as a filter. Um, but then on the flip side, right, it's not like, well, we're young. We know what's cool. We know what's important. We know the, all this right theology. We're going to do our things and do the way things and kind of forget everyone else. Again, you don't have anything to offer. You've outlived your usefulness. That's so unbiblical. That's so anti-Christ. Okay, f- Philippians chapter 2, and, and I use that strong language because we need to hear that. Philippians chapter, chapter 2, which I don't have up here, and we're, I'll just, but it paints a picture of, he says, you know, lay down your lives. Don't consider your lives as something to be grasped and held on to. Look to Jesus 
who though he is very God, did not consider that something to be held on to, but he laid his rights down for the good of others, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as again, Romans 12 tells us, let us seek to outdo one another. So as we relate cross-generationally with older and younger, let me encourage us to again, embrace embrace courage. Come with a posture to understand. Come with a desire to, to, to lay down your rights for the good of others and to say, hey, I don't understand why you do this. Can you help me understand? Or, you know, I, I kind of grew up in this tradition and I couldn't wait to get away from it. You know, all these older people and now I've got this church that's predominantly younger, but, you know, can you help me understand maybe why we did do this or why, you know, why you, 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 you wish we did it this way? And, what, you know, and, and create conversations. The theme in all of this stuff, guys, is messy. Embrace the messy as we relate with one another. Something else I'll just share, I want to kind of call out, that I heard when we were having this cross-generational conversation that I hadn't even known and had, had um, um, overlooked, is it's predominantly a white people problem. Okay, I, as I read this and was thinking through, oh yeah, older, younger, how we do this? Now, of course, cross-generational, you know, tensions exist everywhere, but the ease at which we find ourselves dismissing older people is I'd say a really broken element of majority culture. You know, my mom, some of you guys know she's not here, so I can kind of share this because, I, I mean, just to honor her. But so I, I've shared this before. She has a de- de- dementia now, and we love her. And she, some of you guys have been incredibly blessed by my mom, and she's normally here right there kind of in her spot. And she's probably even asked you to move before if you've been in that spot. And, um, and I, I love her, and she actually moved in with us a couple of years ago, and we get to, you know, my kids get to grow up with my mom in our home, and it's certainly not without challenge and difficulty, but also so good, and, and we just see so many elements of our own brokenness exposed as we relate with our mom. And something I've noticed is that um, where, we, uh, where my kids go to school is a predominantly Latino school, and uh, that's one of the safest places of public school, predominantly Latino culture that has been so communally encouraging for my mom and for us as a family. And she comes when my wife's going to serve an after school program or we're there. My mom will sometimes get lost and all the teachers will kind of be like, oh yeah, you know, Abba, they all kind of call her by the name that she prefers. Oh yeah, Abba's lost. Can we, you know, go find her? People get her coffee. And it's just a really helpful element that, again, from our perspective in our culture, we would have missed. And yet, um, I think, again, this is some of these things that cross-generational, cross-cultural community really helps us to see some of the blind spots and the places that we would naturally come from in our own demographic And another kind of group of people, if you will, within the church that is often very marginalized and overlooked, and some of the majority of the conversations I had after the last time we talked about this, the church, the household of God, and relationships was singles. Single people within, especially in Christian culture, are one of the more marginalized groups and um, there's a lot of confusion and not, it's not addressed or even talked about or even done, done well that often in terms of how do we do this? How do we relate? How do married people relate with single people? How do single people relate with single people? Okay, and so um, let me just read a couple things. That's, that's how we're going to do this on this subject. I want to talk about married couples relating to single people and then also single people relating to single people. 
and, and how you kind of relate with each other. And I emphasized last time more on like dating relationships, and maybe we'll hit on that just briefly. But, um, you know, it's a lot bigger than that. So uh, a few things, one article that, or one actually, there was a roundtable conversation, and, and if you guys are interested in hearing any of these, let me know, and we'll make these av available. But there was a roundtable discussion of three single women, um, one of them very well-known, an older single woman named Carolyn McCauley, and she kind of headed up this conversation. And this is what she said in uh, How to Honor and Encourage Singles in Your Church. She said, it's vital to cultivate a congregation where families absorb singles, wrapping them up in everyday life of the church. We need to be learning from people who are different than us. Amen? That's what we've just said. Who have different burdens and challenges. And then she goes on and says, we must really strive to emphasize the siblinghood of Christ. That's a theme I want to hit on more and more. But we, we need to learn to envelop single people, absorb them into our families. And again, even just from our time last night, let me say to our like young families here, like we're missing out if we don't do that. In fact, here's um, something else I read that I can kind of kind of launch out from. There was an article on the Gospel Coalition written by a gal named Jennifer Grisham, and it was five things singles wish married couples knew. Okay, so I'm going to look for some amens from our single folks in here. To, if you agree with these, you know, shout them out. But one, one of them first, God settles the solitary in a family, and it might be yours. That comes from Proverbs chapter 68, verse 6, where it says, God settles the solitary in a family. And then she goes on to say here, one way God does this is through the church. He creates homes both from biological families and from beautiful friendships that become like family. What an incredible picture. What are we missing out on if we as a church have compartments so, so, so firmly grounded where families don't think, oh, let's invite so-and-so. Let's just kind of send out an, a, you know, a, a call on Facebook or whatever. Let's, we're going to have this barbecue. We're going to have family movie night. We're going to go get ice cream, whatever it might be, that it's not just normal to say, oh, let's invite these other people. It doesn't always have to be other young families with you know 1.5 kids in this age group, and we only hang out with other people. And that's our tendency, though, is it not? And sometimes it's out of fear too, right? Like fear of rejection. Well, what if I call and they say no? Like, that's okay. Call back next time. Maybe they can. Again, last night, that was the case. We had some people, yes, we asked them to move a piano, but it was also just come around together. And there was one guy there who's a single guy, kind of, and, uh, and, he, and he came and he um, hung out. He's in a relationship, but not married. But still, it's like, yeah, like he, he didn't even think twice. Like, well, I don't know. Is it going to be weird? It's like, no, it's normal. He's become a friend. He's become like a family. We've shared, you know, we've known Annie Prentice here from, from when she was like 12 years old and she's like a part of our family and it's really normal. And our kids don't, you know, think twice about, oh yeah, Aunt Annie's there and hanging out with us and other people in our community. Again, I could list so many names that I, I'm so thankful Okay, and then she goes on and says a few other things because I, I can hit on some of these. She says, marriage is sanctifying, but so is singleness, right? Yeah, there's like we don't have it all figured out just from whatever demographic we're in, whatever life stage or experience we're in. We need to learn from others in different seasons than we are in. Our singleness doesn't define us, number three. You can help us remember that. 
right? Sometimes we do the opposite, right? Like we just, we, 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 we pick whatever makes someone different in any particular setting, and then we make that define them rather than encouraging and reminding. You're not defined by, you know, you're a single person, emphasis on the person, right? And then just get to know that person. And, and then um, there are a few more. She goes on, culture lies to us a lot. Let me say both secular culture, absolutely, right? And we'll get into this in a moment, the over-sexualization of culture. And we're going to talk about this. Um, we're going to kind of camp out there some. But is telling, like single people, if you're not out, if you're not on Tinder or whatever young people are, you know, if you're not out doing these things and trying to hook up and out at the bars late at night and stuff, then you're not living life to the fullest. You're an unsuccessful single person and all kinds of lies are coming from the secular world that are really making it difficult for single people, godly people to live out their lives and their identity as followers of Jesus. But we can't blame all of like secular outside world. There's a lot of lies within Christian culture as well. That again, that says things like you're a second class citizen. You can't lead children's ministry unless you're like married and you have kids. And like, thankfully, we blew that one up, right? Our first, our first children's ministry director was a single gal who did an incredible job in that. But like, we have all these things where you can't lead in this. Like, I know one lead pastor who's a single guy. Like, and just think, right? We would even think, oh, that person's a youth pastor. They're great. Oh, yeah, just out of college, just out of seminary, youth pastor, doing a great job. But now that, that guy is like, or, or, or gal is like, you know, 25, 30, oh, 35. I don't know. That might be weird. 40-year-old oh, single person as a youth pastor. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't, right? Like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but why? So Jesus couldn't be our youth pastor, right, as a, as a mid-30s single man. Man, like we need, to, we need to recognize some of our own foolishness that we just grow accustomed to and numb to. Numb to. And then number five, don't expect all your single friends to get married. And she goes on and explains this more in a difference between a desire and expectation and a hope. And it was a very helpful article and stuff. But it's just don't like have that expectation. Don't ask every time you're together. Now, single people relating to single people. Okay, one I just want to say kind of here, because again, I had a bunch of conversations, follow-up conversations after our last sermon on this. I talked about all these things. First thing I just want to say is don't be driven by fear. Okay, the gospel is not uh, one of fear. We're, we're now free from fear. And that can be fear of rejection, fear of hitting it wrong. All these kind of things that so often we're so driven. Well, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I should hang out with that person because I don't want it to be misconstrued or I don't want to ask or I don't want to have a hard, messy conversation or I don't want to take a chance because I might get shot down. I don't want to, you know, and it's like, man, we like the gospel frees us. The good news of Jesus frees us from fear. Amen. And that goes in every conversation with one another, cross-generationally, cross-ethnicity, cross-gender. Like, it's okay to get it wrong and and then to be told and to be put in our place if need be or just to be kind of affirmed and whatever. It's like, don't be driven by fear. And so I would say, you know, take a chance. Going back to that element, which we'll speak on more of brother-sister relationship, just very 
candidly, okay, for you guys, like, what does this look like? It could look something like this, okay? You're in a community with someone, and somebody says something, has a particular insight on a scripture passage or on a, on a current event or something like that, and then you're interested, and you say, hey, could we go out to coffee or something? I'd love to hear more about that. And even if you're worried, you could even say, just as friends, like, could we go out? I just want to get to know more about that subject. It's not a date or anything. I just want to hang out. Or it could be like, hey, could we go out, you know, sometime? I'd, I'd love to get to know you more. And I don't know. I, I don't know what might come of this, but I'd just love to hang out. Could we do that? And then that person might say, yeah, I'd love to, but to be clear, I'm not really interested in that way. And, you know, but I'd love to hang out with you, get to know you more. But I just want to kind of be up front on the front end and just say that. And that's awkward. I mean, some of you are even getting like nervous right now. And I admit this is difficult, okay? I've had one girlfriend in my entire life. It took me a year to even tell her I was interested in her. And I bumbled and stumbled through like an hour long conversation of just asking her out basically. And okay, so I admit this is difficult and we have our own family of origin issues and all these things that come into this. But again, like we don't have to be defined by and hamstrung by fear. Like just move toward one another. Maybe it is on the front end. I just want to get to know you. I want to ask more about this certain subject or this thing. And then over time, like, you know, three times in, you're like, I want to kind of redefine this a bit. Like, I am a bit more interested in you. Can we kind of like pursue you, you know, just with more intentionality and that, and then that person might be like, well, no, thanks. Please don't pursue me, but we can keep hanging out on that front. And I know like, boom, shot down, right? Like the end of the world. But like, hey, the fear of rejection is keeping many of you from, from incredible potential. <laughs> okay, so um, amen. See, yes, it's okay. Then go hang out with your couple friends and be encouraged and be built back up, right? And then you can get sent back out into the war. I mean, into the life. Um, one other thing I want to say on this, singles relating with singles is this, because is, this is another part that came up in the conversation a ton, is you're not all the same. <laughs> Amen? Like, that's something, too, that we tend to think of, especially in our church, like, demographic, like, all single people like, you know, craft coffee and craft beer and like to hang out and go listen to obscure bands, that, you know, and, like, that's what single people want to do. And there might be single people who are like, I actually like Starbucks, you know, Frappuccinos, and I would much rather go play board games or go to family movie night. Like, I want to go see Moana. I don't want to go see this obscure band. And I just, you know, and, and so single people can be different. And, you know, again, that's like Captain Obvious, right? But, but is that not true? Is that not like we tend to think like, oh, well, I can't relate with all the other singles because they all do this. And it's just not true, right? You're different. But as I kind of bring this home a bit, and I want to camp out here and spend some time here, um, from my conversations and even from just observation, and as we talked about, we have this men's group coming up, I think we are stuck. We are missing out so much as the people of God on healthy relationships single people, couples, men and women, married couples with other married couples, because we have given in, we have been defeated by the over-sexualization of our culture. So much, like I, so much of the unhealthy, and I didn't even acknowledge it as unhealthy for so long, 
relationships within the church that which we kind of overly spiritualize and we call healthy boundaries and all these things which We'll get back there, okay? I want to at least acknowledge, but I don't want to take away the, 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 the emphasis, the, 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 the punch that needs to be there. Yes, there's wisdom, and we'll talk about that and acknowledge that, but we so often use that wisdom in very ungodly, unhealthy, unnecessary ways because we try to take a shortcut to godliness that more and more I'm convicted God would not have us take that shortcut. In fact, let me read um, a whole chapter right now from Proverbs chapter seven, and I'll have it up here. And I want to go there with us with where we see this, because again, so many of us would say, oh, I don't think I can relate with men in my redemption community because I don't know how to do that, and I don't want to send the wrong message, and I don't want to get it wrong, or I don't want to relate with women because I don't want to send the wrong message. And And again, I think so much of it is defined by fear, and again, is misapplied wisdom. So with that, let me read Proverbs 7. And just, just engage here. Okay, listen to these warnings and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman and the adulteress with her smooth words. So before we get into the definition of what that is here, just acknowledge, like, is this saying over-sexualization is an issue? Yes, absolutely. Is sexual temptation, sexual sin, adultery, fornication, you know, all these just over unhealthy, impure thoughts defining us and, and going over and over and over again on replay in our minds and images that we submit ourselves to. Is that a danger? Is that something that we need to be aware of and take very seriously? Yes. Okay, that's this warning here. Bind them to your hands. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And, and so, so is this an issue that we need to take very seriously? Yes. And then he goes on and says, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love. Even till the morning, let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So he'll be gone for a while. 
With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. That's hell. That's death. Going down to the chambers of death. Pierced liver, a bird caught in a trap going down on your way to death. This is specifically written to young men. I do want to just for a moment acknowledge this, that pornography and sexual sin is not a men's issue by any means. That's a lie that's unloving to even communicate that, that, it's, that, that more and more the numbers are showing that, that women too are trapped in the snare and the temptation and the continual evil and lie that this chapter talks about that is sexual sin, that is sexual intimacy outside of the design that God has given and called, that sex is a good thing that, that, that you see in the context that he has designed it for in marriage between husband and wife. It is something to take your fill of. Uh, Song of Solomon paints this incredibly beautiful picture. Enjoy a gift from God, but we've taken it and we've run with it. We've distorted it. And so there are warnings like this, warnings of men groups, of boundaries, of accountability, of purity that needs to be there. But who is this Proverbs 7 talking about? Not your sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. Not one another. We have so, I think, damaged men and women relationships, and really the majority of, of the damage has been experienced by women predominantly within the church, by men unhealthily uh, kind of assigning the, the, the temptation, the, the Proverbs 7 or the Proverbs 5 woman, as if that were our sisters in Christ. I can't get to know you. I can't have a healthy relationship with you, a brother-sister relationship with you, because I need to have wisdom. I need to have boundaries. I need to avoid you, because you might cause me to fall into adultery. Again, is there wisdom there? Is, absolutely. We can talk about that in a moment, but... Again, we've tried to take a shortcut where God has not given a shortcut. We have put up these boundaries. There have been articles read. Even the book, just kind of that we will go into men that talks about, about, about 13 ways to ruin your life through sexual sin. And we're going to spend a week, each week we will read a chapter in a different portion of, of Proverbs chapter 7 is there, and that's what it walks through. And I, some of it I have disagreed with, even on the front end, I'll share with you, because it's kind of painted this picture of, of all these hard and fast policies. Oh, I don't ever meet one-on-one -on -one with a woman, even in a coffee shop, even in this case. I don't do this. I don't, I, you know, and so again, like how can a single woman get pastoral care from a pastor who's afraid that she's the seductress who's going to lead him to adultery? Let me tell you, I think it's because we have failed to have the courage to recognize and acknowledge, yes, we're losing the battle for sexual uh, purity and integrity, but it's not with our sisters in Christ, it's with our relationships in secret, with media, with Netflix, 
with Hulu, with Amazon, with, with what, we, what we look at on our phones, with, with, the, with the ways we just give our minds to the, the over-sexualization of the culture around us, and we're losing that battle. So then from there, we take all this crap that we fill our heads with and that we give ourselves to in secret, and then we just dump that on our interpersonal relationships with real flesh and blood human beings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can't help but to over-sexualize others as we relay with them because we're losing the battle and we're not even acknowledging the real battle that we are giving ourselves to on our own. Okay, is that, is that sinking in? Does that make sense here? So again, do we need wisdom? Do we need to fight for purity? Do we need to fight sexual temptation? Absolutely. We have a whole group that we're committing to this. We need to have accountability and health and conversation, but it doesn't need to be misapplied to our sisters in Christ. I've read this article before, some of it, and I'll just quote it as we close here, from a good friend of mine, Danae Pierre, who wrote an article that said, are women dangerous to pastors? Because now she, her husband is a pastor, she grew up in the church, and she observed and has even helped me see way more of the harm that's come to women and the message that's been communicated so often to women because of these kinds of things, men thinking that all women are dangerous. And here's a few things that she said. The practice of not having female friendships does not ultimately prevent adultery. Neither does the commitment to not meet, even in public settings like coffee shops, prevent pastors from committing adultery. The answer to lust or any battle with sin is not to protect ourselves legalistically from each other, but to beg the Spirit to give us a deeper, more profound love. Let me read that again. The, the answer to lust or any battle with sin is not to protect ourselves legalistically from each other, but to beg the Spirit to give us a deeper, more profound love. Again, to replace a lesser love with a greater love. That's the gospel, amen? That's what Jesus does. He doesn't say, hey, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and do all these things and God will love you. He says, you are settling for lesser loves. Let me reveal to you a greater love. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me reveal to you an incredibly beautiful, deeper, stronger, more profound love that will then overshadow and replace and expose the foolish, silly, lesser loves that you give your heart to. And she goes on and says, there's no love greater than the kind of love between siblings. It's the eternal love we share with Jesus and each other. Because Jesus, our big brother, was denied by God the Father, experienced separation from God the Father so you and I could be called children of God, so we could be called brothers and sisters with Christ and now brothers and sisters with one another. Because we don't have to give in to this distorted, lesser love. We don't have to live so paralyzed by fear from one another that we give in to the world that we lose the battle of healthy relationships with one another. But what would it look like to see younger women as sisters, older women as mothers, older men as fathers, younger men as brothers? 
and to pursue that and then to carry that into our individual battle and what should be our communal battle with purity, with what we consume, with what we watch, with what we take on and to fight against by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has sent. And we've seen that so on display throughout the book of Acts so that we can now fight the good fight We can resist temptation. We can see the distorted message of of sexual immorality, of distorted sexuality. And then not just take that and lump that on our brothers and sisters in Christ and have broken, splintered, fear-driven relationships with men and women, even within the church. But we can have healthy, reconciled, redeemed relationships with one another. Because Jesus, our big brother, the one who went before us, came and his good news is that he reconciles us to God, our Father. And then he reconciles us as the church, his family, the household of God, brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers, brought together and sharpened and strengthened in and through the good news of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Again, Father... Thank you that you are our Father, that you are good, that you love us enough to warn us. And then, Lord, you use one another to expose ways that we've settled. Lord, we've settled for lesser loves. Lord, we've drawn legalistic boundaries that prevent us from having healthy brother and sister, mother and father and sister and brother and child-like relationships within your family, within your household of God because we've been so driven by fear. Lord, we pray that your good news, the good news of Jesus, the powerful gospel would free us. Lord, that we would be able to move into the messiness. Yes, that we would have wisdom, that, that we would not live in hiding, that we wouldn't have secret relationships that we're worried that our spouses would find out about or, or inappropriate relationships that we know aren't healthy, but we try to justify away. I pray that no one here would kind of take that from this time. But Lord, that we would be so anchored in the good news of Jesus that we run toward you and from there we would move toward one another healthily as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.